Merry Christmas. This will be probably released tomorrow near Christmas. Um, a lot's happened since the last episode. We've gotten a lot of feedback. Well, I've gotten a lot of feedback from the topic of last conversation and what we discussed. I think all helpful, good feedback. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Dallin has not received much feedback overall. I think people are afraid to push back on what I have to say. Why do you think I, they're afraid? I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe they just don't want to. But, um, I mean, listen, the point of this, I, I'm like one of those people that wants people to push back more than anything else in the world. I, uh, yeah. Because you will do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want people to just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Like, that's, that's a good idea. But I also don't want people to sit there and say, yeah, I, I disagree with you know, what you have to say, but. I'm not going to say why. I love your conversations. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> tell, tell me why. Tell yeah. me why you disagree. I really, truly want to know why you disagree. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Why do you want to know that what they disagree with? I'm just very interested to hear about why people think the way they think. I don't know. It's just a very interesting. Yeah. I think, I think m most of the time people just don't want to argue. And so they'll give feedback, but they don't want to give too much to where it leads to a, maybe a contentious thing or maybe a debate. I mean, I've debated a lot this week, just with a lot of people. It is tiring. Like I, I like doing it, but like I've had lengthy text conversations with my cousin about Israel and Palestine and uh, debates with my dad about things that I should and shouldn't say uh, with my friends about podcasts and like what they believe and then people from my ward. Like it's all good stuff, but it is, it does drain you. And some people just don't like doing it, you know, they just, but I think to your point, what you're saying is like, if you just don't even say anything, you know, like if you're going to bring it up, you're essentially egging me on to ask why you disagree. So you might as well just say what you disagree with up front, right? Yeah. The other part of this is I think that some people just prefer to disagree with some of these ideas because they don't fit the traditional narrative of the LDS church. And so sometimes it feels like, you know, I, I explained this to you, sometimes it feels like a badge of honor say, hey, I disagree with this, but like, congratulations on the great combo. Even though they don't even know why they disagree with it, they haven't really given it much thought. Yeah, at least that's how it feels to you. Yeah, that's how it feels sometimes with, with certain people. It's like, you have, you have a testimony to defend and uphold, and any, if you give in any way to, to these ideas, it feels like you're almost like cheating the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, yeah. or you're yeah. being unfaithful. So the faithful thing to do is to say, yeah, I completely disagree and reject these ideas, but kudos to you guys for having a good conversation. I don't know. It seems silly to me. I, I, don't, I don't see a problem in being able to poke ideas, beliefs that you've held for such a long time just because they're traditional or they're dogmatic. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Just my two cents. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's one of the, the comments that I got somewhat frequently that 
I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I don't know if I've really come to a conclusion yet, but it's morphed since we first started talking about whether or not we should talk about the CES letter. Like, there are definitely two schools of, well, at least two schools of thought. Like, don't bring attention to something that, at least I also believe, isn't a source of objective truth that people somewhat believe is objective objective truth and then throw away everything that they know and you know like you don't want to bring attention to that like there is that camp but then there's also something that i've morphed into is like why like i'm not going to treat the ces letter like voldemort where i shouldn't like he should not be named um the letter that shall not be talked about type thing like i feel like in some ways we give that more power than like we're giving the CES more power over us when in reality, if we just talk about it bluntly and, you know, address some of the things that it brings up, you know, at least for me, disagree and, and bring up other points that the CS letter forgets. Like, I feel like exposing like, like you talked about last episode, like truth will stand on its own regardless. And if I don't talk about the CES letter, I'm essentially giving it, its own pedestal to sit on and I'm giving it more power than I should. And so I've kind of morphed into that view of like, yeah, you know, like screw the CS letter. Like I, I don't mind talking about it. Like, yeah, I'll talk about the points. I'll disagree with some of the things that it says. I'll, I'll bring more context to light to help people understand that. Yeah. You can read things and you don't have to just jump into that belief right away. Like I, one thing that's kind of, unique to Mormon culture, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints culture, is that uh, for whatever, we're very trusting people, typically, and that has a lot of great things about it. And then there are other things about it that can lead to bad things. Like, for example, we can be quite gullible as a group, like in mass, as opposed to other groups. And so like Ted Bundy, for example, he did a lot of things in, in Utah because a lot of people were kind of gullible. A lot of cults start in Utah because for whatever reason, we kind of just jump into something. And so with the CES letter, I think a lot of people, fortunately, they just jump into this and like, oh, well, I read it, therefore it's true. You know, like I brought up these facts. I'm not even gonna care to look into other things. It's true. Like I read it and I felt bad. I felt something and therefore it's right or wrong or whatever without like really examining like what you read. Yeah. Well, there's two ends to this, dude. There are the people that do that. They just read it and then they they dip, they leave. But then there's on the opposite end, there's people that read it and they're like, I'm not going to consider any of these things. I'm just going to completely defend it. Like, they're not open minded about anything. That they're, they're, there's there's two ends of this. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, they just, I'm not even going to listen to anything <clears throat> they're saying. Like, I'm not even going to. Yeah. Or you go in reading CES letter with predispositions that all of this is false. I just need to figure out a way to falsify it, to disprove it. Right. So there's, there's two, there's two ends of the spectrum. What, what I think would be interesting to talk about, if you want to give a brief summary of where you, my dad or your dad and, and I disagreed, he, he came and said that he, didn't think that it was useful to read something like the CES letter. And he gave the analogy of 
reading an ex-girlfriend's journal about you to discover the truth. To discover the truth of uh like who Chris Isaac is. Like I would never go and read your ex-girlfriend's journal mm -hmm. to know about you. Mm -hmm. And I that's what he said. And I actually pushed back on that. I think that, you know, if 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 I let's let's say that I'm I'm a businessman and I want to do business with Chris Isaac and mm -hmm. I want to do my due diligence before making any kind of commitment. Yeah. I want to know about Chris Isaac. I want to know the good and I want to know the bad and I want to know like what you're like. And if I only go to sources that paint you in a good light, then you are going to be in a good light. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have to be a little skeptical when you go to sources where you know that there's like anger or resentment built up? Sure. But yeah. it doesn't mean that what is said in those sources aren't true. Doesn't. At all, actually. I think that... Doesn't, yeah. Like, for example, if you were to read some of my ex's journals, I'm sure there's a lot of truth that you could glean from their perspective about who I am. Does that mean that I'm the same person today? No, probably not. I've, I've changed a lot since high school and college, you know? Um, but you can gain insight into those kinds of sources. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll steal man my dad's side. So I would agree that, yes, you can learn more about Dallas from reading X's. I think what my, my dad's primary point was, if you're using that as the primary source of truth, you're probably not going to get the full truth. Agreed. I, I could totally, I don't think that's what he was saying, but I, I agree with that. And so like what he said is like, I'm glad I don't know Dallin only through the lens of his ex-girlfriend's journals. Because if I did, I would never want to associate with because it's full of anger and resentment and it has things in it that make down out to be a person that A, is not who he is now, and B, probably really wasn't him. A, it was their experience, and I'm sure it's leaving out a lot of context that would make that person look bad. You know, if they're leaving out a lot of things that, most likely, that are self-defeating and only trying to destroy you as a person or as a character. And so I think that that was his primary overarching point of like, I, I necessarily don't need to read their, their like our ex's journals to know Dallin. I don't need to. I can. It doesn't mean you shouldn't. But like, I'm not going to form my full opinion about that person or the church based on that journal. I mean, you don't necessarily need to do anything. Life, but I would say that it's probably a good thing to read those kinds of sources so that you know exactly what you're getting into. So you know both sides of the story. I don't, think, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. So how else would you try to get the full understanding of me? Like if you were trying to really get to know me, how else would you? So you'd read my ex's journals. How else would you get to know me? Spend time with you if you were physically present, yeah. obviously. I, listen, I would read anything that I could get my hands on about you. It's just, it's the same thing with like Jesus, you know, like I'm going to read anything about Jesus mm -hmm. and what people have to say about him. 
Yeah. And then it's up to you to decide what is true and what is not. And that's, that's a you and a God thing, right? It's, I, to me, I take a very strict rationalist approach and, and believe that, you know, events and actual empirical instances or happenings don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, whether or not something is true. Okay. So, so, okay. So to push back on this, cause and this is continuing. I've thought about this conversation almost every day with our last podcast, mostly because I've talked about it a lot, but so let's use the girlfriend analogy with me. So like you said, if you want to get to know me, you get to know me. You'd hang out with me if you could. You could read journals about me or whatever. So let's say you've hung out with me. We've, you've talked to people about me. You've met my parents, my siblings, other friends. You've talked to them because you're trying to figure out like who Chris is. And um, early on in your journey, you read an ex-girlfriend's journal. And that largely shaped, um, you know, your opinion of me. And so you're like, okay, well... I know that's an Nexus journal. You cognizantly recognize that's an Nexus journal. It's probably a little opinionated, but you know they're saying that Chris did these things, and if Chris did do those things, then you know he did those things, and I, I, I'm trusting this girl. So um, then you get to know me, you hang out with my friends, family, whatever, and then um, you find out you, you meet that ex girlfriend, and uh, the ex girlfriend you talk to her about me. And you're like, hey, I read your journal. Um, you know, it seems like Chris did some pretty crazy things, like from what you're saying that your journal said. And then the girlfriend says, you know, I was just really sad that we broke up. And honestly, a lot of those things that I wrote just weren't true. I was just mad. And I was just writing those things because it was just a way for me to vent. So, like, that story that I told about Chris's character actually, like, didn't happen. I was just making it. Wouldn't that therefore like remove that prior thought that you had about me because you know from that person, yeah, that, that wasn't true anymore. Like it wasn't actually the truth. It was just emotion. Wouldn't that change that perception of that journal as a record of truth? Yeah. Yes. If the record being written of you was for the sole purpose of describing who you using experiences that she had to describe who you were and if all those experiences never actually happened then of course you couldn't rely upon that source to tell you anything about you and i think i know where you're going with this but i think there's a difference in the analogies but go free well i i, I that's all i really wanted to hear because i to me i didn't know if that would matter to you totally yeah i, I think it would if, if the sole purpose of a journal is to describe who Chris Isaac is based on experiences that we have had, and then it turns out that none of those experiences actually happened, then I don't think that there's a whole lot of truth that can be gleaned from, from that source. Now, I thought where I thought you were going with this is with the Book of Mormon. Let's say that Joseph Smith comes back and he says, hey, I made all this up. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the Book of Mormon has no value or is, is not truthful to me? No, I, I don't think I don't think that, that that's the case. Because I don't think that the the record of the Book of Mormon, the sole purpose of the record of the Book of Mormon was to describe like personal experiences that Joseph Smith had with 
Did I always say Jesus or the Nephites or the Lamanites or whoever it was? I, I just think it's it's totally different. Um, I, I can't even use that analogy here. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would push back against, uh, so two things. One, at the very beginning, like, it doesn't mean that it's no longer a record truth or there's nothing of value to it. Like, I'm not saying that it doesn't have any value if Joseph Smith fabricated it. I'm just saying as evidence to prove that Jesus Christ is the savior to me, or IE the journal as evidence to prove that Chris is of this character. I feel like that's no longer really evidence, concrete evidence to say that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. doesn't mean I can't glean some truths from it, but to me, it's no longer evidence of the savior of the world because the guy made it up. I don't, I don't understand that. Well, okay, so so, do you want me to talk more about the analogy or Joseph? I think it's, it's the same. So with the Book of Mormon, and I, we know this from the, the title page, the introduction, and you know, Moroni's promise at the end, that the entirety of the book is pointing towards and centering around Christ coming to the Americas. Like it's literally the dates that it uses throughout Christ coming to America. Now, whether or not the dates are exactly right or not, whatever. But if Christ actually did come as the Book of Mormon prescribes it to be, then I am taking it as this is a record of Jesus Christ coming to the Americas and establishing his church and teaching the people his truths, claiming he's the savior of the world. And I'm relying on the reality that Joseph Smith actually uh, translated it by the power of God, as opposed to just lying about it and making it up. Like, if lied about it and made it up, then that means it didn't happen the way that the book is prescribing it to have happened. And that means that it's no longer a testament of Christ's reality. Oh, dude. How, how can it not be a testament of Jesus Christ's reality if he made it all up? If you read the book and you feel closer to Christ and your testimony is bolstered by the Book of Mormon, how is it not another testimony of Christ? Because if I just made up a book about Christ coming to Europe and saying that Christ came to Europe and he taught the people these things, I'm just making it up. It but, doesn't mean that it's real. But it, it, it still teaches you about Christ. But what if I said Christ actually taught that, you know, murder is okay? And, and that, that obviously wouldn't be a true principle. But you have to take a principle by a principle. Go directly to the source. Is this a true thing? So even if I said the whole point of this book is to is to say that Christ came to Europe and that you know that those are the other sheep of his fold and that he actually did do these things and he came and the people of Europe that's where they came from and blah blah blah. Like if I were just to make all that up, it, it's still true. No, but like the principles that teach you teach you like it's the, the Book of Mormon isn't just a historical record. No, but of, of like whether Christ came to America. That's like one point of the Book of Mormon. It's the primary point. It's absolutely not the primary point. That the Christ primary, came to America. Absolutely not. The primary point is it's a, another testament of Jesus Christ. And how is it a testament of Jesus Christ? Because it teaches us of Christ. We talk of Christ. We preach of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. The fact that he came to America is just one point that he, you know, for me, he lo loves his children. And that he's no respecter of men. He's going to visit the people in, in Israel and he's going to visit the people in America. But by no means do I think that the Book of Mormon's point is to 
show us that he came to America. Absolutely not. Well, that he came to America and professed himself as the savior of the world and he taught them truths and he taught them, he gave them authority. Yeah, and it's one point. It's, what, it's like, it's probably an important point, but whether it historically actually happened, that event happened or not, to me, does not dictate whether or not the rest of the Book of Mormon is true. I, I don't follow. That's like very black and white thinking for me. Well, so do you see like, that? Think, think about Second Nephi, Lehi's discourse on the atonement of Jesus Christ. Think about Alma 32, Alma's discourse on faith. Think mm -hmm. about Moroni's discourse on prayer. Just because Christ didn't visit the Americas, now all of a sudden all of that is false? Well, no, because all of those things never happened. Like, jo Joseph is just making it up. What do you mean? So if Alma didn't, if Alma was not a person and he never really taught that sermon. And Joseph Smith was just making it up. Then it doesn't, there's no merits? It's not true anymore? It just means Joseph Smith made it up. And I So it's not true it's anymore? Well, I don't know if it's true anymore. You don't know whether it's true anymore if Joseph Smith made it up? Well, it would... It would totally change my perception of Joseph Smith's whole mission. Well, then I'm going to say something very bold. I, I think that your testimony is is on the wrong foundation. If Joseph Smith lied or not. Yes. I think that your foundation is upon historical events that are very secondary to God's primary purposes. People lying or people telling the truth. No. L listen, I, if you go to God and you ask God, hey, Alma... Joseph, Ebenezer Scrooge, the Grinch wrote Alma 32. I don't care who wrote it. I just read Alma 32. Mm -hmm. Are the principles contained in this chapter true? Should I align my life with these principles? Probably, yeah. Okay, if that's the case, then that's like the primary source of truth. Then it doesn't matter where it came from. Like, it, it does to a certain extent. Yeah, because if, if like, so the, the implications of Joseph Smith being a charlatan genius versus a prophet of God has direct implications on the church, has direct implications on priest authority, has direct implications on yes, all yes, of yes. the other I, things. I agree, but we're talking about the Book of Mormon right now. I know, but the Book of Mormon is the validation that Joseph Smith actually was a prophet. No, I, I disagree. That's, maybe that's where we disagree. Remember I said in the last podcast that that's one of the things that President Lee said that I think was so, so wrong. And the reason I think that people are leaving the church in droves is because now all of a sudden your testimony foundation is based upon historical occurrences of whether or not Joe Smith actually did what he said he did. And if he actually did what he said he did, then secondary, you can believe that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. That's backwards, in my opinion. That's the whole problem here. It's like, no. You go and read the Book of Mormon first. Ask God, is it true? Live your life in accordance with his principles. Do they teach of Christ? Do they preach of Christ? If so, that is a good thing. You should experiment upon that word. Then if you would like to, as a hobby, you can go and do your historical whatever and figure out where it came from. Yeah. You know, like ask ChatGPT how Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. Maybe it has more insight than I do. I don't know. But frankly, I don't care. I don't think that it matters in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it has a direct relationship on whether or not it is true, but it can definitely help us and entice us to pick the book up and read it. But like when you pick the book up and start reading it, it's you and the book, you, the yeah. book and God. That's yeah. it. Yeah. 
well, I, there are a lot of things that I agree with what you're saying. And I hope like, cause I think what you're saying of me is like, I'm hinging all of my beliefs and testimonies on whether or not if the book of Mormon is false, therefore there's nothing good. in it. I don't agree with that. Like I've said multiple times, there are many things in there. Charity is the pure love of Christ. Like I gave last week. It's a great, like, message. Is it that, true? Is it yeah, true? it's truth. Just because somebody makes something up doesn't mean that there isn't truth. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if Joseph that Smith like was saying. a fraud, if you, if, so what hinges, what's different about the Book of Mormon and the Bible is actually the translation process. It, it, no, listen, hear me out. Hear me out. How else would Joseph Smith translate? There's, only, there's really only three ways that the Joseph Smith, that the Book of Mormon could have been written. Either one, it actually is a history of people. Like the gold plates that Joseph Smith said he found and that there are witnesses to, to say that they were there. The gold plates were there. He doesn't know that language, right? He can't actually translate it. He doesn't know it. There's, they're an extinct people. So he couldn't actually translate it himself, right? So he had to have either translated it through the power of God or it was something that he was just, making up or he had help in writing it because there, there's no way that he could translate it himself because it was an extinct people there's no guide there's no english to to we, we don't we language. don't we don't know that with a hundred percent of certainty but it's probably the case that that is true you're right but like i still don't understand why any of this matters okay so if he can't translate it himself then that means God would have had to have helped him in the translation. Well, first of all, you're making a few assumptions. And I actually read this on a like anti-Mormon Instagram post recently about like the translation process of Joseph Smith that I never thought about. You think about the way that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. He looked in a hat mm -hmm. the entire time. He yeah. didn't even look at the plates. I know. Yeah. So like, why did we even need to have the plates if he wasn't going? Like, did, did the plates have to actually physically exist for him to translate the Book of Mormon? Uh, I don't know. I would argue no, it, it didn't. I think there's... He looked into a hat and he was told exactly what to write. Mm -hmm. So like, that's my point. It's like, you, he didn't even need the record sitting on the table. I, I don't even know why it was there. Like, if that's actually how it happened, then it just goes to prove my point even more. Like, the, the actual historical record didn't need to physically exist on Joseph Smith's table for him to get what God wanted him to get. So it doesn't matter to me. Well, that's an assumption. How is it a, an assumption? Because he got the seeing stones in the same place where the plates were, right? And so who I mean, knows? Maybe well, that's what he said. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, we have to make certain assumptions. Calling them out is fine, but my point is the actual physical record sitting on the table next to him didn't matter to him. He looked in a hat and was told by God what to to translate. So if God told him that. In the writings itself, in the Book of Mormon, it says that these plates, like it mentions these plates, if God is telling him to write like these plates that I have written upon, and that I Nephi I'm writing upon, that Moroni is writing on, that Mormon's writing on, like it's mentioned multiple times by different authors throughout the text, and God's telling him to write that. I mean, I guess you're fair to question whether or not these are the actual plates, yeah. but I'm assuming that God is not just going to be like yeah this is just random plates you like, are assuming and i think that we put god especially into... if they're found in the same spot and that moroni buried them and that 
there there was the sword of Laban in it. I mean, there, you're you're buying into the story that we've been told our entire lives. Well, that's what everything has been. That's what you're doing too. I, I no, no, I'm not buying into it. I I'm literally coming out and saying that the story that we've been told our entire lives about how the origins of the Book of Mormon and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is completely twisted. It's like a Disney fairy tale that we've been told. And it's, I don't think that it actually happened the way that it did. That's another story. So you think but, he's lying about all these no, things? No, I don't think... Just because it didn't happen the way that it happened doesn't mean that Joseph Smith was lying. It's because... Well, he said that Moroni came to him and showed him where the lights <laughs> were and that every year he came. Well, what does that mean? Did he come to him in his head? Did he have a vision? Did he have a dream? Did he actually physically stand in front of him? My point is, Chris... I don't matters. think any of that matters. I think that it matters to a certain extent, but it's secondary. Primary purpose of God is to help us to become like him. And so he is going to give us anything that he can to help us to get there. And so we have to take these things one by one. Does the Book of Mormon bring us closer to Jesus Christ and God? And does it teach correct and true principles that help us to become like him? If it does, then I'm going to make the assumption that it is of God. And if I know that the Book of Mormon, or if I believe, I should say, that the Book of Mormon is of God, anything about where it came from, how it was translated, whether it historically happened or not, is very much secondary to me. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to go out and, like, as a hobby, figure out how it was translated or read historical documents about where it came from, because that's interesting to me, but it does nothing for me in terms of, like, its truthfulness. Yeah. So just because it doesn't matter to you, does that mean it doesn't matter to me? Well, I, what I'm saying, and forgive me if this has come across as, like, blunt or arrogant, but I'm saying that this should apply to everyone. That if you are placing your faith in historical evidence and whether or not actual events happened, I think that you're missing the point. In specifically in regards to Christ or in general? In general, and well, I mean, we're talking about the purposes of eternity, so. Well, I was thinking of a historical example that. I think it's it's important to recognize that history is important. It's important, no doubt. It's important. But it's not the, like, there there's, it has a place for sure. But whether or not, like, Joseph Smith, I just, it's very, very secondary to me. The primary, the primary thing that we should be focused on is, like, something that Joseph Smith taught in, like, the Articles of Anything that is lovely, praiseworthy, or good, or, or true. Like seek that. after these things. We seek after these and things. I, I, and again, I'm not saying to throw away the entire Book of Mormon if Joseph Smith was a liar. I'm just, maybe this is just where we disagree. Like, I'm just saying the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is less likely to be the Church of Jesus Christ if Joseph Smith lied about kind of everything. That's oh, why why walk me walk me through that process. Okay, so if Joseph Smith actually didn't see Moroni, and he just <laughs> made it up. If, if Joseph Smith didn't have any plates. What does it, it? What does it mean? Made it up to you? Like, like that I saw an angel yesterday, and he told me that I'm the next prophet of God. I made it up. Yeah. If an angel actually did come to me and told told me that I'm going to be the next prophet of God, that would change the perception of how I feel about this. You know, but if I just made it up. 
that an angel came to me, showed me where plates are. Actually didn't happen. The plates actually didn't exist. I actually just made up this book because I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty good at literature. And I think it's a good book. I wrote it. And I'm going to stand by it and say that it's true, even though that I know it may have been made up. Um, but if you read it and you get a witness from God that it is true, and, and, and you still made even it Even though up. I made it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly. Uh, have you ever read C.S. Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> C.S. Lewis made up the entire Chronicles of Narnia. Have you ever read Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, but the Chronicles of Narnia are not saying that this book is a testament of Christ's reality. It's a, symbol, a symbolistic approach of telling a narrative and applying broader themes to it. That's exactly what I'm saying in the Book of Mormon. But the, but the Book of Mormon doesn't lean to that with a lot of the things that it says. The, the entire, every word in there is a journalistic form of writing. So, But it's also a, a very much a story that points to Christ in every it aspect. It is also that, but it doesn't mean that it's not also the other thing. That's what is the other thing? That it is to? actually a journalistic approach to a history of people that knew of Christ, taught of Christ, and understood Christ's teachings and received revelations from Christ. And so why does that matter to you? Well, let me continue on with, I'll get to that later. But so if I just made this book up, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make a church and use this book as validation that I actually am a prophet. And I'm going to say that God has given me all power and priesthood authority on this earth, like Moses of old. And I am going to make a church, and people are going to have to be baptized in this church. And in fact, so much so that I'm going to make this church go global. And I'm going to tell everyone they need to be baptized. They need to go to this building to get married, to be sealed for forever. And even though I'm just kind of making all this up, like that to me matters if this guy is making it up or not. And so if Joseph Smith is lying about the Book of Mormon— and he's lying about being a prophet of God, then the church and it's all the premises that it's built upon fall because it's predicated that God himself sent Peter, James, and John to Joseph to give him the priest's authority. Like in that Joseph was actually a prophet and that he led people and he helped people come closer to Christ through his church, through his authority. Like so many things are predicated that these things are true. It doesn't mean that there aren't like great things about the church independent of those facts that we give to charity, that we do get closer to Christ, that we do become better people. That's not the church isn't just saying that we just want to help people be better people. The church is saying we're helping people be become exalted. Yes, exalted beings. That's very different than saying this is a good and helpful thing. It's very different. Dude, I, I think I just need to write a book. Because <laughs> I, I feel so passionately about this. And I, I think that um, you are exact, you're describing exactly what I think the problem is in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That, is, people, that being lied to is, is okay, despite it having good outcomes. And yeah. believing a lie is okay, even if it has good outcomes. Totally. I, I, and by the way, I'm not claiming that Joseph Smith outright lied. I am of the opinion that Joseph Smith was doing the best that he could with the knowledge that he had at the time. 
and that he had good intentions, but that maybe and he did was God actually inspired him to write it. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I, I find it very <clears throat> difficult. I find it very difficult to grasp that when I read this book, the book of Mormon, and I believe that it came from God because of the way that it makes me feel and the way that my life has changed since applying the principles that it would be very difficult for me to believe that God did inspire Joseph. How he inspired him, I don't know. I don't know if if he, like, I don't know if Joseph Smith, like, the, part of me believes that there is a, a scenario in which, you know, Joseph Smith could feel like, oh, I'm making this up, but God's inspiring. I don't know. I don't care. I really don't care. The fact of the matter is, I've read the book. I know its fruits. I believe that it's true. It's of God. So it follows that this must be a work of God. How it got here, I don't really care. Like I said, I just think it's secondary. I think one of the most important things in this whole conversation that I'm basing my beliefs upon are what Joseph Smith said in Matthew. I just looked up Matthew seven sixteen. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? By their fruits you shall know them. Yeah. By their fruits, you shall know them. All of these historical evidences are good things that lead us to taste the fruits, taste the word. And I would say the evidences are, it's not just the evidences, it's whether or not the evidences are true. That's what I'm, it's, the evidences are secondary, but it's whether or not those evidences are based in truth or lie, in deceit. Or actual truth. It's not evidence if it's no longer true to me. I don't know. Uh, the reason I picked up the Book of Mormon in the first place is because of the story of Joseph Smith. People told me that he was inspired by God as a prophet and that he was directly inspired by him to translate an ancient record. And so I was like, oh, that's very interesting. I'd love to know what God has to say in this other testament of Jesus Christ. So mm -hmm. I picked the book up, mm -hmm. I read it, and then I started to read it again and again and again and pray about it and to meditate upon it. And then I started to apply the principles taught in it. And I realized this is a good thing. I'm going to continue to experiment upon the word. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> there comes a certain point where you have to make a decision like, is this book true? Or is it not? And what I'm saying is the only way to know if something is true is to, to go directly to the source of truth. I agree. And pray about it. I agree. You can pray about it. We Some people call it meditation. Some people call it a gut feeling. Some people call it your conscience. At the end of the day, there is some sort of intuition that we all have as human beings that helps us discover whether or not something is true or is good or is praiseworthy or is a good report and that we should continue to seek after these things. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, that's my primary purpose in the Book of Mormon. What led me to read the Book of Mormon is all secondary, whether Joseph Smith was a prophet or not. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Sure, it matters, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. So do you think the Quran and, you know, Muhammad, and I've read, I don't know how much I've read of it, percentage-wise, but I've read quite a bit of the Quran. Wouldn't you say that the Quran in Islam is predicated on the belief that Muhammad was actually a prophet? No. The same reason that I I'd ask a Muslim then, because I, would, I, I know. Think they would disagree. Of with course, you. Muslims would disagree, just like all Mormons disagree with what I'm saying. With 
what you, you disagree with what I'm saying. It's because you've been taught this your entire life. Um, but if he actually was I, a prophet, would that change your view of the Quran? Yeah, a little bit. But like, what does it mean to be a prophet? Does it mean that you're getting everything right? Like, just because Joseph Smith was a prophet doesn't mean that I don't think he made mistakes. Like polygamy, for example, I think it was a big mistake in many respects. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't a prophet. So could there be a scenario where Muhammad writes the Quran or was inspired of God to write it and like makes, maybe misunderstands certain parts? Maybe. I don't know. But that's why I would have to do to go through the exact same exercise that I went through the Book of Mormon. Are the evidences and the historical events that led to the Quran or that people say led to the Quran, does it entice me to pick the book up in the first place? Okay, if it does, now I'm into the Quran. It's me, the book, and God. Do these things teach of God? If they do, then I have to figure out a way to understand, like, why is this teaching me of God? Why is this bringing me closer to Christ? Mm -hmm. If it's good, I will continue to experiment upon the word. Mm -hmm. And then once I get to a place where it's like, yes, this book is of God, or these principles are of God contained in the book, then it matters not to me where it came from. Would, would you say that those principles, if you think that they're good, are good principles objectively or just subjectively? Objectively. Objectively. Eternally. Okay, so it'd be true for you and for me. So the Quran explicitly states that Jesus Christ is not the Savior of the world. He's not the Redeemer. If, if uh, Muhammad was a prophet, and he actually was of God, then that would, either he's completely wrong about that, being a prophet, which I would then say he's being a false prophet. I mean, that's kind of a huge claim that Jesus is no longer the Savior of the world. But he actually was a prophet of God, of the world, like prophet of God, and he was right about that. Then, the Book of Mormon and the Bible, what they profess, is no longer true that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Yeah, I agree that you can't, you probably can't, like, but, but, dude, like, you're you're thinking of this black and white again. But Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world is kind of an important thing to be. Black it is, and, white and so if someone is saying that Jesus isn't the Savior of the world or the Son of God then based on my belief system, I probably don't think that's of God. There you go. It is what it is. But, okay. you, but you have to take it individually, like principle by principle. Like. And how, how do you know that Jesus Christ is the, is the Savior of the world? I wouldn't say that I know with 100% certainty, but I but believe it like, because I've gone directly to God and I've, I've aligned my, my life with his teachings. his teachings. and I know they're good and so I'm going to and you got his teachings primarily through word, through the, the scripture. Scripture, but we don't even I know, know if those scriptures are even real, right? What do you mean real? They're like real that, to me. I'm if Jesus, them. if Jesus never even existed, if Jesus never even existed, <laughs> this is a very interesting conversation. I did not want to go down this path. I've had this conversation with one of my good friends, Chris. <laughs> I don't even know if we want to go down this path, to be honest. Well, it kind of hinges on, like, how we know that, like, part of the reason why I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world is because he came and he did, like, on the fact that he did come and that he did live and that he was here and that he did atone for my sins. Like, pretty much all my beliefs are predicated on that. Like, actually, that is 
what my foundation is built upon is him. Yeah. And so if he actually didn't exist, that to me matters. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. If Jesus didn't exist, if he was just a story, would you change your life? Um, I, I don't know because I've seen the fruits, but it would change my perspective on after this life. Why? Because if Jesus doesn't exist and heaven isn't real, then if... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Take it one at a time. How, if Jesus doesn't exist, does it mean that heaven isn't real? Uh, well, I guess you have... If Jesus doesn't exist or if God doesn't exist. Yeah, okay. Those are three different, very they important are, topics. But the Jesus not existing would... I would probably look into Judaism. Like I would probably want to tie myself to another group because I think groups. So you would re you would reject Christianity if Jesus physically didn't exist. If, if Jesus was a total fabrication and a myth, yeah, because it's built on a myth. Dude, I think that you are building on the wrong foundation. On Christ being the savior of the world. No, on the fact that whether or not he was an actual, you're, you are leading an empirical life. Events and actual things matter more to you than the eternal principles that we can glean from. Well, I mean, I live a pragmatic life and I think that practically my Let's, life wouldn't change very much. Like I would still be faithful. I would still be, I would still try to live a good life by Treating others with kindness by giving charity by why would you helping? do that though? Because I've Jesus seen the fruits. Jesus doesn't exist though. Because Jesus. I've seen the fruits. Just because the fruits the fruits can be real and the person be fabricated, but the fruits are not the tree. The fruits are the fruit of the tree, and to me, the tree the the doesn't just because a tree has good fruit doesn't mean that the tree is good. Like we see in, the, in well, there could be a scenario where the tree is God. I'm not, listen, if God doesn't exist, I would probably live my life very differently if I'm being completely really? honest. Yeah, I, I probably would. What would you do? I would do whatever the hell I wanted to do. Even though the fruits <clears throat> you know probably wouldn't be very good. Well, this is such a hard conversation to have because I don't, I don't, like, I don't, not yeah, I don't think that in the frame. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. Like, if God didn't exist, I don't think that any of our moralities would be the same. I don't, like. I can't even go there. Like, I, I believe in God so much. And, and we can call him whatever you want for those that aren't God. Like, there has to be something, something out there. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. In order for any of this to have any sense. And I go back to, like, Lehi's uh, discourse on <clears throat> in order for there to be good in the world, there has to be you know, and in yeah. order for there to be suffering, there has to be yeah, joy. So, so, like, there has to be. I don't. I don't know how to get around it, even from yeah. a rational standpoint. So, when you ask me, like, yeah, I don't. But I don't. God know. could exist theoretically in Jesus. Not my foundation is to a point where it's like God does exist, yeah. and I believe so, that Jesus actually was a person. Too. But whether or not he actually did the things that he did, well, dude. That's, is the path that I didn't want to go down today, but like, I would, I would, I would ask, like, what is the, like? I believe that the atonement. What is the atonement? Like, is it a, a physical thing or is it an experience within all of us? 
Like to be on if whether to, or not you think no, no, the Bible. No, no, no. Listen, to be true. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. To become, it's very, it's much more nuanced. To become at one with God. Mm-hmm. That that is what the atonement is. Who makes that possible? We've been taught there's Jesus is making to make that possible. The physical act of atonement, like what was the purpose of it? I had this conversation three days ago, two days ago, Chris. Like, does the actual event of Jesus dying publicly? But yeah, these are these are very good questions. Yeah, uh, we can have this conversation. And I, Chris and I, briefly talked about this and whether or not events happening matter. And you know, to me. I, I can positively say they do matter they because do. my events in my life, if they happen or not, matter to me. And so I can say that they did or not, but the actual events that actually happened in my life have mattered. And so I apply that to Christ ha- living and, and being what he is and saying what he is and um, performing the atonement. And I have felt fruits of that. Now, if, if Christ didn't do it and it's just placebo, one can say, well, it doesn't Better person, you become not a better person. Like you've you become you, a, you, you an don't, elevated you, person. You've no, you become like God. Well, yeah, like which is a better person. I'm, I'm but you're like, better you're, than I was before. But you're like you're you're just like brushing it off, like it's no big deal. Well, sure. Sorry, I'm not trying to do that. But I I I've become greater, which is significant. But I like my whole life trajectory is predicated on the belief that I'm going to be reunited with my spiritual father and that I'm going to live with him one day. I mean, and I want that because I want to live with my dad, I want to live with my family, like that's very important to me. And if he's not there or if Jesus Christ didn't do that, and again, there's differences between God and Jesus, but like that, it would be, I, would, I guess I would say I'd be very sad. I guess I would be dead, so I wouldn't know anything. But it would be a disappointing way to go. But, dude, just because one event didn't happen doesn't mean that another event can't. What I mean by that is let's just say that Jesus was a story. Just because Jesus was a story doesn't mean that you're not going to physically live in heaven with your family, with God someday. No, it doesn't. I come come back to – so you can't can't make that argument. So I, I come back to, like, our, our boy, Jordan Peterson, he, he is so, he, he's like his biblical series. Mm-hmm. He right. thinks the Bible is incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I would venture to say that whether or not the Bible actually happened the way that it says it happened historically is very much of less importance to Jordan Peterson. What is most important to him? The story, yeah. the analogies, the allegories that you can derive mm-hmm. from the Bible. And so I, I don't think we give enough credit to the power that story and allegory and symbolism, this is how God works. This is how God teaches. He speaks to us according to our own language and our own understanding. And so when we, when we say that, you know, is, is it possible that the Book of Mormon is just a story? It's, it's almost like people discredit it. And it becomes of lesser value just because it was a story rather than an actual historical a record but yeah. to me it's of no less value whether it was a story or whether it was actually historically accurate it's like 
God can still work through stories. And in fact, he, he works through he stories and symbols more than, than he does speaking. in actual physical events. Because you can get so much more from a symbol than you can from just an event that happened. And so I don't see a huge problem with this idea that the Bible could be a completely made up story or that Jesus could be a complete, I'm not saying that he is, but let's just for the sake of yeah. argument say that he was, my life wouldn't change. It wouldn't change at all. Actually, I would, it would be interesting. I'd be like, Oh, that's really interesting. This didn't happen. That way. Okay. So what does atonement actually mean? What does God want me to learn from this story that Jesus suffered for us in Gethsemane and how can it change me or how is it changing me? Like, what is the actual power that is changing me? Is it something mystical that had to actually physically happen that's changing me? Or is it what the book of Mormon describes as this pull? Like when you realize that someone died for you or sacrificed their life for you, you're like drawn to them. And it's like this feeling of, Oh, he loved me. You know, is, is, is love a physical thing or is it just something that's made up in our mind? I, I don't know. All these things are questions yeah. that I ask. Um, but my point is whether it's a story or whether it's made up or whether it actually happened is very much secondary. The primary purposes are, are these things good? Should we taste of them? And if so, How do, how do we get to that? And I think that you go directly to God and ask. Yeah. Well, I, I, so Chris brought up a really good point when I talked to him, I think, was, and he may have brought this up to you, like if, if Christ did actually suffer and die for our sins and, you know, made it so that we can be resurrected again, that was essentially the primary purpose of the atonement so that we can live again, right? Like um, if he did that for everybody, and that actually happened for everybody, then that means it's true for everybody. Like whether or not you feel it's good or that it changes you or not, like the reality of the situation is that it's true for everybody. Whether or not they felt it. it What's true, that everyone will be resurrected? Yeah, that yeah. everyone will be resurrected. So if that, <laughs> like, so I feel like that's where kind of, if it's mythos or reality, the line is drawn. If it's, like, I 1,000% I agree with the whole mythos argument that Jordan makes that you're making, that stories, like everything that you just said, I agree with. But I feel like where the line in the sand gets drawn is if the mythos actually is reality. That has implications for us, like actual implications that we actually will be resurrected again because of Christ. That, that to me, and, and, you know, Islam as a faith, is predicated on a false teaching that Christ wasn't a, just a prophet, but he was actually the savior of the world. Like that actually happening and Jesus actually being the savior of the world has actual implications, not just for you and just for me and not just right now, but for, for eternity. And so to me that those implications and those realities matter. And that's where I draw the line in the sand. That's where it just objectively, it would have different outcomes. <laughs> if Jesus Christ was just a mythos and we aren't going to be resurrected again because of him. I, hold on. Hold I know on. you're saying hold just on. because Jesus Christ wasn't the Savior doesn't mean that we won't be resurrected. Right. But 
Like there's no proof. There's no, there's no like teachings that all of us would be resurrected. Like Jesus Christ is the one that atoned for all sins. And if not all of us would get our bodies back, like you'd have to lean on some other truths to go from. Well, Christianity teaches that we'll all be resurrected. I know, but if Christianity is just a mythos. No, (laughs) that's my entire point. Even if Christianity was a mythos or whatever that word means, there's still truth to it. But, but if it's just because there's truth doesn't mean that there's actual events that could happen in the future. Yes, it does. That will be by who? That's that's logically like it's, it's, it's illogical to think otherwise, just because an event doesn't happen just because the resurrection didn't happen doesn't mean that a resurrection couldn't happen. Think about that logically, what you're saying. I, I understand, but but that's what everyone is predicating their beliefs on is through the teachings of Christ that we will be resurrected. Okay, and so hold on to that belief. Wherever you got that belief, hold on to it. Yeah. Because God put it in you somehow. Yeah, but if, if... Who cares where it came from? But if Hercules said that... It doesn't matter then. Is it still a true principle? If Hercules said, at the, at the end of the day, you're going to be resurrected with God someday, okay, it's a true principle. Who cares who said it? Stalin and Hitler could have said it. I don't care. But the only, the 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 reason why we're giving that, that principle of resurrection any credence whatsoever is because Christ taught it. Not because Hercules taught it. No, not, not, yeah. be, not because. That's why. No, not because Christ taught it. It's because yeah. we went to God and asked, is this is this true? But why did we go to God? Because, because we Christ to, taught it. We wanted to know if it was true. Because Christ taught it. No, because we wanted to know if it was true. Not because if you weren't a Christian, then you wouldn't go to God and ask because Christ taught us. Like, who is Christ? I don't know who Christ is. Well, they wouldn't know. Exactly. They, they wouldn't even know. know if they were. And so they would, they would read this and they would be like, okay, is this a good thing? I don't care who Jesus is, but he's telling me to do this. He's saying that I'm, he's my savior. Yeah. So how do I know that? Well, guess what they're going to do, Chris? They're going to go and pray. About I know, it. But, but the only reason why they're praying about it is because this person said that they were. Huh. Right? Like they're, they wouldn't have even thought of going. Yeah. To God okay. And fair enough. But because someone said, told them to. And because he said. But Hercules, he Hercules could have come to them and say, hey, you're going to be resurrected. And I'm just going to go. And I'm to- the reason why. And I'm the reason why. Um, I mean, that's different. That's what I'm saying. That's what Jesus said is I'm the reason why you're being resurrected. Yeah. That's why we're going to God in the first place is, well, is because Jesus said, I said this, I'm going to be the reason why I'm resurrected. And, and you can go to God and ask God if this is true. Well, there's two questions to ask. Number one, number one question is Jesus the reason that I am being resurrected? First question. Yeah. Uh-huh. The second question is, am I going to be resurrected? Yeah. There's two different questions right. in there. Mm-hmm. And you have to go to God to ask. Yeah. And the only reason why I'm going to God is because Christ claimed that he's the one that's doing it. He claimed that he's the son of God. That seems silly to me. I would, want, I, want, I would want to know if I'm if resurrected you said that, at all. If you said that you died for my sins. If you didn't know who Jesus was, it's, all, it's so hard for you to think about this because you've been taught so much about Jesus and you know who he is. Yeah. Well, let's just say you had no idea. You're living in the Amazon jungle. Then you wouldn't know any better. And Jesus comes to you and says, I am the reason that you're going to be resurrected. Mm -hmm. My first question is like, resurrection? What does resurrection even mean? I'm going to be resurrected? 
I'm going to go to God and be like, am I going to be resurrected? Well, and God comes to God. you and says, yes. Yeah, exactly. And God says to you, and we have to operate on some sort of foundation. My foundation I is think that God exists. The and the way that we know the truth exists is if we go to God and ask. Yeah. But you're in the Amazon jungle and someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm, you're going to be resurrected. And guess what? It's because of me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most important thing in there is, am I going to be resurrected? Not, well, who I mean, was like, it because who are you? of I mean, who the heck are you? Yeah. Well, if, if I'm going to be resurrected, then I'm going to continue to explore and then I'm going to realize, oh, wow, his teachings are great. So I'm going to align my life with him. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you'd want to get to know that person. You'd, you'd want to see. Okay. Yeah, Chris, I'm not saying that events don't matter. I'm just saying, like I said, that they are secondary. The primary things that we should be focused on are the things that help us to become like God. And just because it's a story doesn't mean that it can't help us to I, I I hope you've heard that I've said that yeah. multiple times. But and by the way, I believe I, I don't think there's a line of sin in my in my opinion. But I believe that Jesus was resurrected. I believe that that physically actually happened. But if someone came to me and you know I I get back to heaven and God's like, hey, it didn't actually happen. I'm I'm gonna be like, oh, that's interesting. But it doesn't change the way that I would have lived my life. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I like. There's the net result, but I think how we get to that net result matters in some regard and like how it changes us, like you're saying. But a lot of people's faiths are built upon the realities of these things. And if you're saying it doesn't matter, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I think for most people, they need at least some validation of their beliefs being based upon some reality and some truths. Right. So if like I, there's totally things that can be learned from uh, Dante's Inferno or uh, the story of Odysseus and Hercules and, and all those things. But like I'm not going to base my my faith and my worship and my relationship with a divine being based on those stories. I'm going to be going to be basing my my worship and who I want to become like based on someone that said they they're my savior. And not only did they just say that they're my savior, there's thousands of evidences within the books that he actually was the son of God. That he healed millions that he, not millions, that he healed thousands of people that he uh, never sinned, that he came, that he was resurrected. Like that is the infinite proof that he actually was the son of God. And the book of Mormon testifies that he actually was resurrected. And so it wasn't just, fever dream for a lot of different people. He actually was resurrected. And if he actually was resurrected, then to me, that is more validation that Jesus Christ was who he says he was. Yeah. It wasn't just some random guy in the jungle saying that he died for my sins. Well, agreed to disagree, but I, I want to end by reading a few definitions just for the audience. If, if you're still with us, <laughs> got a little bit heated, <laughs> but, uh, I think where me and Chris differ and where I differ from a lot of people is um, in our approaches to epistemology and epistemology is the question of the source of knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? And there are a few different perspectives. I've pulled up a few definitions that I'll just read. The first one is empiricism. It's the most classic. It's the one that I think Chris holds to. It's the one that I think that most people adopt is an empiric, an empirical way of thinking when it comes to how we know things. 
Empiricism asserts that knowledge is primarily derived from sensory experience, observation, and empirical evidence. In other words, our senses, such as sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell, are primary sources of knowledge. Did it actually Rationalism. Is that what it says? Did it actually happen? No, I just added that. That's a big genius. What, 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 I mean, did it actually happen? Like sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell. Like, did it actually physically happen, I should say? Okay, keep going. Can it be touched, heard? Did Christ, yeah, I guess, yeah. But I mean, I've never seen touched or heard Jesus, but I still believe in him. Which is very interesting. Well, I know. I would say that I'm definitely not just an empiricist, but I do rely on empirical evidence for a basis of Gosh, it's so interesting that this is such a thing that people die on because it's like, but I'm not dying on this. What is history other than the idea that we are putting our trust and our belief in other people's, uh, not just one person's though, but a a collaborative experience? Yeah, I know, I know, I know, helps. I know. Okay. Anyways, so that's empiricism. Then there's rationalism. Which I would say I'm, I'm very much a rationalist in a strict sense. Rationalism posits that reason and innate ideas are the main source of knowledge. It holds that certain truths are self-evident and can be known through reason alone without relying on sensory experience. Um, empiricists criticize the idea of innate ideas, arguing that all knowledge ultimately stems from sensory input. Rationalists, on the other hand, question the reliability and universality of sensory experience and emphasize the role of reason in assessing certain truths. Then there's pragmatism. Pragmatism was articulated by philosophers like Charles Sanders, William James, and John Dewey. It focuses on the practical consequences of beliefs and emphasizes experience and experimentation as a source of knowledge, which I would say, I think both of us adopt to a certain extent. I agree. It's like language, for example. Mm-hmm. We use language, even though it doesn't necessarily describe reality exactly, but it's pragmatic. Yes. We need it in order to operate in the world. Yeah. Then there's intuitionism. Intuitionism holds that some knowledge is immediately evident to us through intuition without the need for sensory experience or deductive reasoning. Intuitionist philosophers include Henry Bergson, Susan Stebbing, um, and Baruch Spinoza. So this question of how we arrive at knowledge, I would say I lean more towards a rational approach. It doesn't mean that empirical way of thinking is not an important way of ascertaining knowledge. It's just that I've prioritized my way of knowing certain I would say that there's a way to know whether a principle is true or not through reason and through spiritual exploration, going directly to God. So quickly on that, do you think a a true rationalist would say that the spiritual feelings that one gets is empirical evidence? Uh, No. That it's it's not? It's not. Okay. So, okay. I would say it's it's that's intuition. where all my faith stems from is my spiritual experiences. I mean, if I'd never had those, I don't think so, Chris. I don't think you're being honest with yourself. To be, to be completely honest, <laughs> I I think those are I, just no, I think I think those are important to you. But I think that what you have shown the past hour, however long we've been talking, is that what's more important to you is whether events actually happened. Well, I mean, if they happened and I've prayed about them. To well, know what comes first? True. What comes first? Well, the 
what comes first is if they happened. What comes second right. and fi finalizes it is the second, is the brain. For me, it's switch. Okay. But that's where we can agree to disagree. Yeah. But you talk a little bit about intuition. Baruch Spinoza, I, re I read his work. Uh, in Spinoza's epistemology, intuition plays a crucial role in the highest form of knowledge. Spinoza distinguishes between three levels of knowledge, opinion, reason, and intuition being the highest. Opinion. This is the lowest level of knowledge and is based on sensory perceptions and the imagination. It is characterized by a lack of clarity and distinctness. Reason is number two. The second level of knowledge involves a higher form of understanding where one employs reason and logical deduction to comprehend truths about the world. And then the highest form of knowledge for Spinoza is intuition. It's the highest and most perfect form of knowledge. It involves a direct intellectual perception of the essence of things, unmediated by sensory experience. Intuition allows individuals to grasp the eternal and necessary aspects of reality. Spinoza argues that while reason is powerful, it has limitations and the highest form of knowledge transcends it. Intuition for him involves a direct intellectual apprehension of the fundamental nature of reality, allowing individuals to see under the aspect of eternity. This form of knowledge is associated with a deep understanding of interconnectedness and unity of all things in the universe. So you want to know how I think about the world? Like a lot of it has been shaped by my study of philosophy mingled with scripture. <laughs> and I know, I know I take a very philosophical approach to these things and it is definitely not traditional, but that's kind of my point is yeah. I think that the reason people are leaving in droves is because the foundation upon which they're basing their beliefs are founded upon a sandy foundation. And I think that we have to switch the foundation. Doesn't mean that we can't use those to help build our foundation. But it's just been my primary. Yes. <laughs> They have value, but uh, I just think that the most important thing that you can do in this life is to have a personal relationship with God and to know how to decipher between what is true and what is not. And events are less important to me than the eternal principles that we glean from these events or stories or metaphors or allegories or Laugh. <laughs> Get into Jesus another time. Okay. But I'm not prepared to, to put that on. Yeah. Well, healthy debate and I appreciate everyone for listening. Let us know what if there's a, a belief that you fall under or that you think you fall under. Um maybe I don't know what to say. But uh thank you all for, for being with us today.